Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice from Audible.com. Bill Crystal's here with all of the latest on what's going on in Washington. Bill, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Hey, Michael. How are you? Uh, better than Eric Holder, I think it's safe to say. That's a very low bar, however. <laughs> well, how is Eric Holder, based on what you've heard? I, I, I saw your... Uh, uh, our mutual friend Jonah Goldberg on last night with Charles Krauthammer saying that they don't think Eric Holder is going to be forced to resign. Can this guy really stay in his job after being caught essentially red-handed, lying either to Congress or to the courts? Well, I, you know, uh, you might not think so. And I think in, in previous cases, in Republican administrations, when people are in this kind of bind, they tended to get forced out sooner rather than later. Uh, the Obama administrations are pretty stubborn at uh, times and standing behind people. Uh, Holder's, I think, a genuine personal friend of President Obama, so he, he'll throw some people under the bus pretty quickly, but I'm not so sure he would, Eric Holder. and So they might try to hang on, and I think as he said before, Holder, that he liked to serve through the whole year. You know, if, if five years is enough to be attorney general, more than enough, in my opinion, given his <laughs> performance. But um, I could see them really trying to hang on, and I guess this, this can be pretty hard to actually force him out. So he could be there, which isn't so bad for conservatives and Republicans who want to highlight just how uh, irresponsible and worse than irresponsible the Obama administration has been in so many ways uh, involving the Department of Justice. It's interesting how the stories keep growing. In other words, uh, there's a, an instinct sometimes for people to see a, a whiff of scandal and assume the worst, and then when you find out what really happened, it sort of fades. But in this case, the stories just keep growing and growing. The head of the uh, IRS, while the targeting was going on, practically camped out in the living room at the White House. Uh, the IRS was auditing pro-Israel groups in addition to, uh, to uh, the uh, Tea Party groups. Every day, another layer that seems to add to the premise that this was a completely politicized process. Yeah, I mean, both the politicization of the Justice Department and the IRS are really pretty shocking, I think. And I say this as someone who's been around Washington and served in government, and I'm no naive about these things. And uh, I know these are parts of the administration, the Justice Department and the Treasury Department, so some political guidance is appropriate at times, but not in terms of who the IRS chooses to audit. And the fact that they went after Tea Party groups, conservative groups, and pro-Israel groups who were pro-Israel in a way that differed with the administration's policy on the 1967 borders and, and so forth, is really pretty shocking. I mean, I really do think it's shocking. I really hope the House continues to investigate, and I talked to someone there this morning. I think they're going to try to do it carefully and, and to go from the bottom up. And, you know, let's find the person who uh, queried these groups that had never had any problems before, that are totally, you know, this one is a friend of a university that happens to be located in the occupied territories, but these are American friends who are giving money to a university. Uh, I don't think they'd ever had any problems with IRS before. Suddenly they're audited after the president makes a big fuss about going back to the 67 borders and, and getting out of the occupied territories. Let's, you know, the House should call that auditor and say, well, who asked you to do this? This probably wasn't your own decision. And, uh, you know, then f call that person's boss and who asked you to do it. They really need to unpeel the onion carefully, but thoroughly, I think. And I think it'll turn out that these orders came from pretty high up. I'd be pretty surprised if they were never, ever discussed with anyone uh, higher up at Treasury or in the White House. And with Holder, I mean, the Justice Department, the, the, the James Rosen story keeps getting more interesting. Uh, he does seem to have misled Congress, at least in terms of his own 
uh, knowledge about it. But you've um, heard the argument. His argument is that what he said is he never participated in the prosecution right. of a reporter for publishing, and Jim Rosen was never prosecuted, and the case wasn't about publication, and therefore he didn't say anything wrong at all. But even he, I mean, here's what the bottom line, and I've debated this like you have a million, million mm-hmm. apologists to the Obama administration. At the end of the day, Obama himself said the IRS behavior was disgraceful and various other strong adjectives. Right. Um, now Jay Carney's up there trying to basically excuse the IRS officials, but that's what Obama said, the president said, when he was confronted with it. And Eric Holder's not defending right now, to my knowledge, what the Justice Department did with respect to James Rosen, and I'm not even sure he's defending what they did with respect to the Associated Press. So that's just objectively, these were mistakes at, at best and sort of scandals at worst, and Congress is utterly entitled to investigate them and to demand to know what happened. So I don't think you can get away from these by just uh, parsing language or saying, oh, you know, um, this is typical Republican muckraking. That's why these scandals are serious. They really, you know, this is, these are two very sensitive. It's one thing if someone at HUD is, you know, sending Section 8 money to a nephew, a cousin somewhere, and that's just normal fraud, and that happens in every... You know, well, we're having it in Massachusetts right now, just so exactly. you know. So, yeah, yeah, it's it just happens, another day it happens in the private sector. I mean, that's a crime, mm-hmm. and it needs to be prosecuted. Justice and IRS, think about that. Are there two more sensitive parts of the U.S. government prosecuting people for crimes and auditing people's income tax returns? That's why these have real resonance, as they should. And incidentally, in previous administrations, extra care was taken to shield certain things from political inter- interference. So I, I really think it's appropriate, and I really hope the House... Republicans, it would be nice if the Senate would do this too, but I don't know that Harry Reid will permit serious hearings on this. But, you know, look, Democrats should really be concerned about this too, and it's a good test of whether they have any concern for holding uh, an executive that's run by someone from their party, an executive branch that's run by a Democrat, uh, accountable as well. So I think it's, uh, these are serious. I agree with you. They're not but, just kind of going away. But, Bill, you've heard people saying they can't be serious because President Obama's poll numbers haven't really moved. Now there's a new Quinnipiac poll that shows that they, that started President Obama is now – has a 45% approval, 49% disapproval rating, and I thought this was interesting. Among independents, it's a huge number, 58-37 on trustworthiness, uh, or, or excuse me, down from 58-37 on <coughs> trustworthiness. There's this people found out find that he's not trustworthy. Uh, I, that seems significant to me. Voters do not move easily. That's mm-hmm. something we should have learned over the years with Clinton and in other respects, do you need a lot to convince voters to abandon? 51% of them just voted for President Obama. It's not easy to say four or five months later, gee, I don't fundamentally trust the guy. You right. know, people have a certain interest in defending their their previous judgments and their votes. But I think the economy also has been, you know, decent. The stock market's been up, and that's giving him some, some ballast underneath him. But you just need to keep pushing, and eventually voters do come, I think, to judgments. It takes a little longer than people like us who are living and breathing this stuff every day uh, expect often. But, no, I think if people really have the sense that this guy was at best negligent in his supervision of the Justice Department and the IRS, and at worst really allowed or encouraged the politicization of both these arms of government, I think he'll pay a price. I think senators and congressmen who encourage the politicization of the IRS will pay a price. That that really is shocking to me, too. It's one thing if you're a congressman or a senator right. to write a letter maybe defending one of your constituents against uh, the IRS intrusiveness. Nothing to write a letter saying you guys should go sticking the IRS on a bunch of people, groups whom you happen not to like. I, I really think it's inappropriate, and I really hope the Democratic senators who wrote those kinds of letters 
uh, are held to account by their constituents. But somebody has to run against them to get that to happen, and that's one yeah. of the challenges that as, as you have the country, the, the blue parts are more blue and the red parts are more red, there are fewer opportunities to challenge these people. That's true, but there are a bunch of Democratic senators from states right. that Romney either carried or that were close, uh, whether it's you know Arkansas and Louisiana, which obviously were Republican, or a state like Virginia, even states like Michigan, which are Iowa, which were you know, competitive, uh, have elected Republican senators in recent times. So I, I think there are a lot of opportunities in the Senate. I really hope we get interesting, younger, different candidates. Um, I hope my friend Tom Cotton, who's now a congressman from Arkansas, runs uh, for the Senate there. I think he will against Pryor, and I think he'll be very strong. I just saw that Nebraska, where the former governor said he's not going to run wide-open Republican primary. One of the candidates is a guy named Ben Sass, who served in the Bush administration. He's a very young college president now in Nebraska, very bright guy, uh, sound conservative, but, but articulate and you know able to make the case. Right. Uh, as well as anyone, 41 years old. I mean, we could have a, a Senate class next year that will add to Rubio and Cruz and, and, and some of the other younger, uh, impressive uh, senators. It really it could be very very helpful, I think, for Republicans. One, la- one last question for you, back to the, uh, to the uh, Department of Justice issue. As you and I speak right now, there's uh, a planned meeting with Eric Holder and members of the media, and several media outlets, including the New York Times Associated Press, said we won't participate because it's off the record. Number one, has the Weekly Standard been invited? And number two, would you go? Number one, no, we haven't. And that's a shocker two, to I'd, me. That is just a shocker. I'd said. Number two, that's a shock. <laughs> you know, we were kind of waiting. I thought maybe the mail system with the mail wasn't working well. They got the wrong email address for me, you know. But uh, I don't know. I probably wouldn't go, um, especially since it seems kind of – I mean, I'm not against it. all off-the-record meetings. Uh, sometimes they can be useful. But in this case, uh, you know, presumably he's, he's testified on this. It's enough of a public story that one would like the Attorney General of the United States to be able to say some things uh, in his own right. name and to stand behind them. I, I agree with the idea that the Attorney General should speak, but I think he needs to do his speaking out in public because it's the yes. public that needs to be answered to. But well, that's a very good happen. point, you know, and we, this, should not, this should not become a media story. This should right. become a story of the management of the Justice Department and out of the IRS and, and the way in which they treated individuals, not just, gee, it's a normal tug of war between the press and the uh, and the government. You know, it really is amazing how typical Tea Party people like my mom have been treated, you know, by this administration. I mean, they've been called extremists by their own president, been called brown shirts by a member of Congress, they get trashed as racist, and all they're doing is complaining about Obamacare policy. They have put up with so much garbage, then you find out they had to get spied on, too? Sheesh. I, I, we had to have a special, like, Tea Party medal or something for these people. And they did pick on the on the less sophisticated, less well-financed groups. You know, yeah. I don't think Karl Rove didn't have problems. I, I'm on the board of one or two, C3, C4s. We were okay, but we had, you know, we, we had some big donors. We're here in Washington. I suppose they'd, maybe they didn't want the adverse press of tangling too much with, you know, with, with people who had some access to the national media. And they do seem to really try to bully these smaller groups, and that's particularly distasteful. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Michael. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. And thanks to audible.com for their special offer, a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. Be sure to check out the special offer from audible.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.